Welcome to Reset with Tom, the podcast. I'm Tom Metcalf, and each week I'll be sitting down to chat with an inspirational guest, talking all things life and what it is that defines each and every one of us. This is realness to the core, unfiltered, all cards on that table. Everyone has a superpower. Everyone has been seen as motivational by someone else, and that is the point of this pod, making you realize that you are a badass superhero and you should be taking pride in that and talking about your unique story. Yes. Question. Could you travel over 2,000 kilometers from England to Tunisia, Africa, on your own, on a bicycle? Well, that's only what today's adventure-driven guest went and did, and the reason behind it is even more brilliant. Championing a more sustainable future and getting people to experience adventure and sport is what drives this woman. She is mentored in Kazakhstan and the USA, set up a volunteering program for a rural non-profit org in Morocco. She's taught languages, sports, coached, mentored. She is a leader and I can see that. She's been a reporter, had her own podcast, and she co-hosts a podcast for her now company, The Cyclist Magazine where she is the features writer for everything double-wheeled. Emma Cole, I can feel the adrenaline because I really worked myself up this week, learning so much more about you, and I couldn't be happier to have a fellow adventurer here. How are you doing? Oh, Tom, I'm fab, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm cold, as we already (laughs) discussed while I'm in my (laughs) big woolly jumper because I've got no heating or hot water. I don't smell, so that's good. That's the little things in life that you've really got to focus on. The little (laughs) things in life. But yeah, like I said, it's so good to have you here. And I think I was even more excited because you're the first person so far in my bunch of guests that I haven't, like, that's not currently in my, you're like virtually in my life because we see updates and stuff online, but we've not been around each other properly since we were little kids. Yeah, very little kids on the stage, living the dream. <laughs> yeah, what a tease. Yes, we were on the stage. So we went to primary school together and we did. We did. The boy who fell into the book. Yes. I think that was the that was the, the real high flyer. <laughs> and you obviously were the main character and I was the scary lady who had a gun. And we also did, I've just remembered, we did Jack and the Beanstalk. You were Jack and I was a scary granny <laughs> who had to like eat her slipper or something. Not eat her slipper. I remember wearing slippers <laughs> and, a, and a dressing gown. Yes, this is true weird. because you were also, I'm getting some sense of like typecasting here because I don't know why you always got the... I know, it's so rude. I'm actually lovely. <laughs> no, but I think it's because I was tall. That's I know, I and I was with. so small. We were polar opposites. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Jack and the Beanstalk was the first one. It's fun. yeah because you were you were my mum. Ah, is that who I was? Yes, but I, I think yeah, you were my mum because you sent me out to go sell the donkey. Wait, sell the donkey? Oh yes, you're right. And then you came back with those three magic beans, and then and I was you really cross. abused me, like <laughs> for whatever reason. Our... I think I threw my slipper at you. Uh, it... I think that's where the slipper okay, came in. Emma, you're you're calming this down because you beat me with a Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. You did. Oh my god! Sorry, we were about eight or something. The director of that play needs. Sorry, we were seven on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, seven. Okay, 
I beat, was it a Henry the Hoover by any chance? It might have been. I just remember you holding the uh, like the Hoover end of it and then you had to strike me in beats with like the, the orchestra or something. And it was this really OTT like... <laughs> <laughs> I can so imagine you doing a sorry to OTT as well. <laughs> <laughs> Massively, yes. I think I've got the video, so I have to accompany these videos. But... Oh, please, 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 yes. <laughs> I always remember in that one as well. I think it was one of the evening performances because we probably did like three or four performances. Oh, and a match name, I'm sure. Yeah, good on us. It's so intense at that age, learning all those lines and everything. But there was one where we just hawked so much. We just burst out laughing mid-performance. And I think it could have been the Hoover scene where you're beating <laughs> me or you're coming at me with the Hoover and then... I admit I started laughing first. I remember that so much. Yes, you started laughing and I was like, how dare you? <laughs> and obviously it was hilarious. I mean, the fact that we were obviously really good friends and I was there with a hoover being like, naughty, so naughty, Jack. <laughs> and then we couldn't stop laughing and then all the audience were laughing as well, but we made it through. I think it was like a minute of laughing. And that didn't stop us from, you know, carrying on doing the the plays at primary school. Yeah, because like you said, boy, in, boy fell into the book, came after that. You were the evil Monique. And what, what, who were you? What was your name? Evan. Oh, gutted. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause laughs> Monique's I, way cooler. <laughs> you were French, which was fitting, right? Because you speak French. Exactly. And, well, weird, actually. And um, I've still got a picture. My parents have got a picture of me holding the gun and with like slicked back greasy hair like to go with my sort of I don't know what money was she was a spy or something cool evil spy yeah an evil dream spy because this was all in my dreams I was traveling through the books on my shelf oh my god I love this that you you remember it it was an intense period of our lives <laughs> it was <laughs> uh, but yeah I've still got the picture and I can see it whenever I want yeah and, send um, it yeah, to me just... I should put it in one of the posts for this episode <laughs> yeah I think everyone would like to see it it's a professional <laughs> photo isn't it because I feel like I can see it is it is it like the photographer I mean, took bigger well, characters yeah it's a big picture yeah. um is it framed above your fireplace it is framed yeah it's framed it's like you know when you've got the graduation picture yeah. you've got the like I don't know my parents wedding and then there's me as Monique <laughs> Okay, whatever, we'll roll with it. <laughs> it was obviously a big moment. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love this so much. Well, good memories though. But yeah, we were we were good friends at primary school and it's such a um it's a special time of anyone's lives because what's mad is that I think I was there only f I did four years there and then I left to go do year seven at, at, at another school. Um how long were you there? Did you do the whole shebang? Yeah, the whole shebang. I was there. What was it called? It was, I think it was year three to year nine. No, year eight. And then I went to boarding school at year nine. So yeah, yeah, you did the whole thing. But it's crazy how when you're there, how four years seems like a lifetime. Whereas now, four years is like the start of COVID. I've done my time at the school. That's mad. But then I also think when you look back at four years, like four years ago, I'm like, whoa. So much has happened in between those times. So yeah, it's been a it's been a, yeah. a lot. Rollercoaster. <laughs> the world has changed. It's always special when you uh, had these people in your lives, but then I can still see your updates and every and everything like that. Isn't it mad? Like the moment you click unfollow or something on someone, then that's just it. 
especially if it's something like they were at school or whereas we've still been kind of semi-aware of what we're doing. And I was always inspired by you and and, and what you were going out and doing. And, and that all very much was visible to me on my phone, which shows that there are still benefits, you know, because of being online, you can still see what people are doing and, and be inspired by that. You know, I wouldn't have invited you on here if I didn't still could see what you were doing because I would have just had the memory of you as Monique and I would have been like... God, don't bring her this on. This will be really intense. <laughs> She's very scary. Um, but yeah, it is weird, social media. Like, obviously, there is loads of negatives, but it does, you know, mean that you can keep a really, really wide network of friends, no matter if you're not in contact with them at all times. And that's why I still have Facebook, because um, it's a really good way of, like, you know, you've travelled so much of keeping your friends from all over the world and getting in contact with them and, you know, just maintaining that friendship which sometimes you know peaks and troughs you'll see each other sometimes you won't but that's the cool thing about social media and you can follow along people's adventures and you can yeah just keep in touch with what they're doing when you find those little highlights it it kind of pushes the negatives to the side a little bit more it makes it a bit easier when you can find those little yeah as long as you haven't been like doom scrolling and then you spend like an hour on there and then you're like oh yeah 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 (laughs) hiding in the shadows no from me no 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 (laughs) no don't do that um so firstly I want you to talk to me about obviously like I said you're a big adventurer you're always out there and I draw parallels to you through that because I've don't get me wrong you've done a lot more crazy shit than I have <laughs> like I think it's all relative it's all whatever yeah I don't put yourself down but come on <laughs> you're you're very much I guess in a way you seem to be very spontaneous in the sense that you might come up with some crazy amazing thing to do and then you'll commit and you'll do that whereas is that fair to say yeah, definitely. I'm not I'm not a big uh, planner, it's how I would put it. <laughs> um, and I don't like thinking too much about something uh, because I think you can really psych yourself out. So I would like to plan sort of the edges and the rest will come together. Yes. So I want this to lead into this expedition. And I think I was so drawn to it as well because I have always been a big reader and a big... I've always been fascinated by early explorers and stuff, right? So that's always been a big... I read fiction, but I always read nonfiction books on, you know, Endurance and Shackleton, or I'm currently reading... um, Oh, my gosh, wait. No, (laughs) I followed her name. I've lost her name. She'll come back to you. She's there somewhere. Wild, which was written by Cheryl Strayed. And if you've seen the film, there's the one with Reese Witherspoon where she walks... I can't remember the specific name of the route, but it's from... Uh, going all the way down from California all the way up to the Canadian border. And a lot of people do it. Oh, is it the Pacific Crest Trail? Yes. It's oh, the I Pacific love that. Crest Trail. Yeah. Epic. Have you heard of Cheryl? Yes. I know, but I've heard of the Pacific Crest Trail because I've done a little part of it when I was traveling in Oregon uh, through Greater Lake. And I would love to go back and do the whole thing because um, it looks utterly beautiful. And when I was there, like weirdly, I just remember so clearly that part of the route was uh, people can't do couldn't do part of the route because there was a cougar and a fat and a, and the cougar's family and i just thought that was so cool that 
that was happening and like you don't get big cats in the UK well apparently there's a Black Panther somewhere mm. but you don't get that sort of vibe and that was like the fact that that was actually happening just really stuck in my memory yeah you have to be there and respect nature and figure out another way yeah but would you want to do the Pacific Crest Trails so Emma like these kind of thoughts come to me a lot I think what differs is that I build these things up and then I and then I end up doing something different like I've always had the I've always had the want to do from the south of England to the north of Scotland I always thought of that oh yeah I would rather do America just because it's a bit warmer even though I wouldn't do it in the peak of summer because that would just be awful and I would die but <laughs> but um yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah it's a good reason um but I would love to, I would, um, I'm fascinated by West Coast of the USA and the changing landscapes and everything and making a way north and it all becoming more mountainous and, and green. And so, yeah, I would love to. But anyway, I digress because I really went off the wheel there. Wait. And, <laughs> and yeah, I, I was saying I, I was drawn to your story because I've always read about these early explorers and stuff. And I feel like even though it's not the same to you, you know, you you do it for your own reasons and everything. But when you see people going out and just doing these massive trips, like across parts of the earth, it, it gives me such a early explorer vibe. And, and you're following in the tracks or the footsteps of what other people have done in the past. And you're just going out and you're just embracing for whatever nature brings you each day and you're relying on yourself. So So talk to me about about the trip like how, what made you come up with it yeah I guess I mean there's a few reasons why I wanted to do it the first one was that I like to do a challenge every year I was quite unwell in 2020 not COVID related but I basically got really unwell and I couldn't breathe and I've actually just got my diagnosis last December which is quite this is great but like it really made me value my health and I couldn't walk 100 meters I could I honestly I, it was awful my lungs were just so inflamed um, and ever since then, I was like, right, I've got to do something good with my health. And the first thing I did was a Alzheimer's research, uh, sort of charity challenge. And that was massive, but it was, um, what did I do? I think I did like 300 kilometers running, 30 kilometers swimming and 3000, no, 2000 kilometers cycling. And I gave myself three months to do it, uh, which is quite a lot. And I basically took a week off work and did a 700 kilometer solo cycle around the UK and I knew nothing about cycling this is way before I was I'd call myself a cyclist I just like the bike because it's a great sustainable mode of transport anyway so that kind of that was the initial thing that made me realize okay I can do stuff like that I can do the endurance side of things and then last year I did so then I had 2021 20, off actually because I really hurt my foot classic that was a bit annoying, but I'm going to put that more down to personal development. Anyway, that mm. year was for that. <laughs> and then 2022, I did a, I ran a 50 kilometer trail ultramarathon. And so I was looking for my 2023 challenge. And my friend Lisa, who I met my year abroad in Martinique, works and lives in Tunisia. And I met, I like, we had a little reunion in that February. And she was like, come and visit me. And I was like, I don't want to fly. Like simply, I don't want to fly. I just, I don't want to do that. As a joke, she was like, why don't you just bring a bike? And I was like, you genius. And that literally was the moment I was like, brilliant. I, so I work in cycling. I'm currently a cycling journalist. Um, and I'm about to get freelance. Woo. Uh, but at the time, I'm working in cycling. And I literally go out to work, pitch it to my editor. And I was like, I really want to do this. I think I can make a really cool 
you know, really cool content around it. And it will be an incredible personal challenge and it will make me understand the sport and the needs of cyclists and kind of what it means to be an endurance cyclist. And that's basically how it started. <laughs> I did a bit of training, probably not enough training, although you train when you're doing it. It took me 18 days. So I like to think that's a lot of training every single day on the bike. Um, sorry, you were training for 18 days or the No, so the trip, trip sorry, the trip was 18 days. So I, I did like a fair amount of training before, but I never did sort of 120k one day and 120k the next day I never did consecutive rides that were as long as what I was going to be doing and so that got that was a (laughs) jump straight into that (laughs) but I wouldn't change it for the world it was the best thing I've ever done yeah it's just it's you know when you look back and you're like was that really me that's the coolest thing ever it is "Ah." (laughs) it's so cool I have been stalking you this week. <laughs> I have. And also, I think on one of your podcasts, you talked about not being a good photographer. And let me tell you, you are good at taking photos. Stop it. Do you actually think that? Yes. I, on my list of things to do is be better at photography. Yeah, your photography <laughs> is so good. But how do you take photos when you're out there on your own? Do you set up a tripod and then like timer and then cycle past? So I've got a really mini little tripod that I actually used to use for my microphone yeah. for my podcast that I used to do and I just put my phone on it and the maybe the photos you're thinking of is when I'm I'm sat on a bench with my bike next to me and I'm usually eating a tin sweet corn. I love these photos and, um, as well. These are <laughs> these are such good photos, yes. And I just for me the reason I took them was because I wanted to capture the sort of not the beautiful landscape, not the like, oh, me is smiling on my bicycle. But the reality of it is the fact that I was knackered. I was so hungry. And I like, found such solace in tin sweet corn for a few days, which was very unexpected. But I like to think of it as a version of watermelon. Okay. Because um, it was just really sweet and yummy. And it was really easy to eat. Um, and that, and I, Did you drink the brine or is it just the corn? Oh, it was it always in water. Okay. I'd never get, oh, uh, brine. No, no, no. Wait, not brine. Sorry. <laughs> They just come in water, yeah. That's what I mean. Do you eat the juice? Yeah, so then you get the obviously you get the high. Does sweet corn even come in brine? I hope not. I hope not. (laughs) It's a hard pass. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, exactly. You get the water that you drink afterwards. And it was kind of like something having something sweet, but that wouldn't give me a really sugary because when you eat sugar, you get that down afterwards. And it wouldn't give me that. It was I found it quite a sustainable way of having a treat that wouldn't be detrimental to my performance. Um and yeah, like I found just even me eating pictures of croissant as well. I really loved getting the food element because so much of it was how much I could eat when I could eat, where I could find food from and where I could get water from and where I was going to sleep. That's literally all I cared about. And it was wonderful. The simple life was a dream. I really want to eat a tin of sweet corn now. I think I'm going to do it later. <laughs> you're, you're boosting their profits right now. So I was, there were a number of things I was, cause you were also drinking a lot of Fanta. Is that right? Oh, Fanta. Well, I did. So sometimes I would have, um, Coca-Cola cause it's full of caffeine. Yeah. So it, I, there was like, it depended on how I was feeling. I was very much driven by what my body was asking for. So moments when I was like, I don't know, having a bit of a, a bad time potentially. And I would get myself a Calippo because when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Calippos. And so it's just a nice comforting thing. And also they're delicious. And also, oh, sorry, it was, um, the temperature was, you know, probably between 28 and 36 degrees for <gasps> 18 days. So I was very hot. <laughs> and so I was always needing to replenish. Um, 
liquid electrolytes all that kind of stuff and all my salts and so yeah clippers were a great way of doing that and so was having a can of coke and what I do depending where I was because I was riding through quite rural places so I just go to this random shop and whatever soft drink they'd have massive bottle of water and I'd usually mix the two of them because drinking a Fanta oh my teeth <laughs> you get that horrible taste and um, feeling on your teeth and so you I also get them. the uh it induces like phlegm and stuff doesn't it when you're when oh does it it does <laughs> I did not know that brine phlegm <laughs> what else is there oh my days <laughs> but that's (laughs) one of my questions was gonna be um in terms of water and being in that situation of did you would you take would you ever have to rely on like natural water with a purifier or would it always be until you reached a shop or you would never be stopping on boiling water yeah i would never do that because the great thing about france and belgium and lots of switzerland is that they have these natural fountains so they have springs in pretty much every village where you can just go and fill up water. Amazing. Um, and that's something I've learned just through my job. Um, if you go cycling in the mountains or running in the mountains, there's always a water point at every village um, and it's fresh water running off the mountains. That is so great. Yeah, absolute game changer. I mean, there was moments where I think it was my third or second day and I was in Belgium and it was roasting and I was in the middle of nowhere in Belgium and I didn't have any water and there was nothing. I couldn't find anything. Like it was desert. <laughs> and, um, and I had to beg this man who was closing up his restaurant to give me some water. Like it was the day when all the shops were closed. It was something classic like that. And ever since then, I was like, I will fill up at every water spot. Um, and I kind of, I changed. I always had maybe uh, two, well, it depends, but I'd always have two litre bottles on my bike and sometimes a liter or two liters I'd carry it with me and it would get really warm so I'd have you know lovely delicious tepid warm water mm. which people aren't often a fan of however I learned to appreciate it <laughs> because water is water yeah and you wouldn't have survived without it or maybe you would yeah. who knows I, think I mean I wouldn't have been very happy and my mindset I think yeah it's really important I used to do this thing where I'd test myself to see how like my brain was doing because obviously you do get really tired and that can lead to making bad decisions. So I had a really quite a, like rigid routine of I'd be like, oh God, you know, I've been cycling for maybe five hours. How am I feeling? Or even within three hours, I'd be like, oh gosh, do I need more water? Do I need food? And I would test myself by doing mental maths. I hate maths. I always have. And it was like even doing like, okay, so I knew I'd done X amount of kilometers and I'd minus of, minus it off what I had to do. And I, oh, I'd do stuff like, okay, come on, let's do a really simple multiplication or, and it would always be related to my trip. And there's moments where I was like, God, I have no idea. What is 120 minus 89? And it would take me ages to do it. And that's when I was like, right, we need to stop. Let's, let's recalibrate, let's get some food on board. Because, um, you know, you're putting yourself at risk if you're not like with it on the bike. So that was always really important to me. And then you would camp. You camped the entire trip. Is that right? No, the majority of the trip I camped. Um, there was a few moments where I got uh, a B and B, which was amazing. Is that because you? Is, <laughs> is that because you you had planned to camp, but you you were kind of like, 
no, I, I just need to rest my body comfortably. Yeah, so it was a mixture of, uh, like, camping was lovely, but my tent was a bit too small, so I'm quite tall. And my feet, I had to sleep diagonally in my tent, and, like, that really grinds on you after a bit. And I was just like, God, I really need... And sleep was so important. Um, so I then sort of changed it a bit. Um, and I always wanted to camp somewhere where I felt safe as well because I was a lone female. And I just, for me, the key was to feel safe um, and not to worry about my bike or anything like that because I always left my bike outside my tent. Um, so then there were some moments where I did get a B&B and my word, it was amazing. And my favorite time was... I'd had the reason I got Airbnb was because I was oh, I had a bit of a bad day and my knee really hurt and I really needed to recalibrate. <laughs> so got this BNB in this beautiful mountainous area in France. And I rocked up. The lady was so lovely. So I sort of I'm the kind of person that would book a BNB a few hours before you rock up. And the people are always like, oh hello. Hi. <laughs> and that's kind of how I roll. And they have rocked out the lady was lovely with a really nice chat and then she suddenly went oh do you want me to wash your clothes and I was like yes that is the kindest thing anyone's ever said to me thank you so much because I was just rinsing them in water at the campsites you know and I was cycling let's just say my kit was not very clean well in that heat um, as well yeah in that heat as well and the best thing was though I couldn't smell very much for the majority of that trip so I had no idea if I smelt and I remember lady was like oh just bring me your kit just put it in this basket so I obviously emptied out my stuff and was like what am I going to give her and I remember taking off my socks that I'd ridden in that day smelling them and being like oh I think these are fine <laughs> obviously I stank but I just had no idea and was, when I finished my trip it was only then in hindsight that I was like oh my god that poor lady I probably walked in just like that massive stink and yeah but she was very kind and was very polite but yeah she, she so might have good. not been able to smell herself yeah maybe but the fact she offered to wash my clothes like free of charge obviously I was like please take my money yes like, please so take a tin of sweet corn <laughs> yes like, it means a lot this is my offering um yeah I was like god there's poor people <laughs> oh just a big smell it's um <laughs> it it fills you with you, you know, you said you went there and you're a tiny bit down because of your knee and, you know, you needed to rest. But then you get to somewhere like that and you have the pluses of, yes, a bed, not sleeping diagonally and feeling yeah. safe. But also it's the people Like she would have made your evening. She could have made your next two days. Honestly, yeah. And the people that I met all along the way were incredible and you know I never I don't know there were moments when you feel that you are alone but you're also not alone at the same time and it was I met a route I cycled with lots of people in certain like segments and one guy I met in just as I came into Switzerland and reaching Switzerland for me was such a big moment because I can't I couldn't really imagine the fact that I was going to get there so the reason I don't plan that much is because I'm like, who knows what could could happen? And I like to have the flexibility. And it was as soon as I entered Switzerland, I was buzzing. I was like, my God, I can't believe I made it. Like, this is huge. Like, I'm halfway there. What? Like, how have I done this? <laughs> um, and then this guy just cycled next to me. And he was called Ben. And he was half Dutch, half German. And just strikes up a conversation. Like, where are you off to? And we ended up cycling for 50K together. Oh, that's... Having a hilarious time, just like talking about life. Took on this massive climb of the day that I've been dreading. But when you do that with someone it's so much more fun and actually I laughed I laughed going up I 
like 13% gradient. I never do that. Um, so that was really nice. And again, going up, so in to get from Switzerland to Italy, there's this mountain pass called the Gotthard Pass. And for me, that was like my big mountain. I was like, if I can get over this, I can do anything. And bear in mind, I had like 20 kgs of luggage. I was, you know, taking a lot of stuff up, up there with me. And I met these two people called Marco and Valentina just on the road. I was looking for somewhere to stay and they just literally cycled past me. I'm like, what are you up to? Do you want to come hang out with us? Why don't you come stay in our room? And because it's basically torrential rain started on a classic. And I was like, really? Are you sure? And then from then on, we we cycled for the next two days together. Um, and it's like moments like that. You're just like, oh, I just love humans. Like you can really like you can really bring people together and yeah, I learned so much from them. And those are some of my happiest memories of the trip. It is really special that, um, when people are, and so many people are, yeah, so welcoming and yeah. you can share half a day, you can share a day, an hour with people and they really make your trip because as important as it is, people have their own reasons for doing things on their own or going solo but there's always those elements of at times there are going to be other people and it just balances it out slightly for you. I mean, what were your, obviously you said you were going out there to stay and be with your friend, but I mean, when you decide to do something solo, like something on your own, is there, because it's interesting because I've been um, thinking about this you know, this episode so much this week and thinking about how I've always solo traveled. You know, as soon as I got into it, when I did my first trip uh, solo to Slovenia, it was the day my nephew was born, actually. So that would have been oh. in 2017. And it was my first, it was just five days, interrailed, hostels, first experience of all of that. And I loved it. And I felt a real sense of, you know, freeness. But at the same time, I didn't like like myself as a person because I was I was at that age and I hadn't come into uh, all my, you know, self-love, self-confidence and yeah. everything. I still enjoyed it. And um, it was amazing. And it started this chain reaction of trips until eventually I did my big like travels abroad. And I was thinking... I think that my passion and love for traveling and especially traveling from solo actually came from something in a sense that was negative. I needed escape and especially with my nine months abroad, which was my big one, you know, I was very depressed, you know, I was closeted, I was... I'd been like attacked and mugged. I'd been kicked out of my place in London and there's just so much. And then I was like, now I need to go. Now, Tom, you need to go and run. <laughs> and and I did that. And, and, and I've never really just spent time thinking back and thinking, wow, it actually, it did all come from a, it did all come from like screaming on the inside and, and a need to escape. I'm not saying that's the same for everyone, but... I think you're right. I think that can definitely be a catalyst. I I did my first solo travel where I spent, so I had this job in London and then I went through like a bit of a bad breakup and I also struggled with like self-worth and stuff like that. And I kind of didn't want to know what I was doing. And I, you know, kept moving around flats in London because I just didn't know what I wanted. I was really bored of my job. 
And I was like, I really need a challenge. I need to go do something totally out of my comfort zone. So I went off to Morocco solo for three months. I just like took myself off and I was like, I've got to go do this. And then that's when I moved to Kazakhstan um, for time after that. And then I ended this kind of set up a huge chain reaction of me sort of wandering and having fun and challenging myself pretty much. And then I ended up actually back in London in the city. And then again, I left that and went into journalism. But I very much thought like the fact that I was really, you know, that first solo trip taught me so much and it taught me about being comfortable with myself in really uncomfortable situations and making like looking after myself was my first priority. And I always look at back at that Morocco trip being like, God, that was amazing. It was really hard. You know, there were really difficult moments of scary moments. I hitchhike in Morocco, like, come on, what planet are you on? But it worked and I was lucky. It was great. But you're like, yeah, that was really, that was a really formative moment when you just take that step and you're like, what you said earlier, let's go run, let's go run with it. You're not fully aware at the time, but it's taking that time out to make you better. Yeah. And to make you your best version. And it takes time. It's, it's not like one trip. Yeah, you can take so much from one trip, but it's that gradual if I hadn't done any, I mean, my life would be so different if I had, say, never gone abroad on my own or anything like that. But when you you want to, I think I've spoken about this before, but you want to leave this earth knowing yourself the absolute best, unless you you don't know yourself to the limit, no, no one else is, you know, no one else is going to get close. And that's, that feeling of just comfort on your own and going through all these different situations, trusting yourself, crying with yourself, you know, you go hard on yourself at points, but also championing and praising yourself and your, your endurance and all of these different factors. And you can look back on these moments and you're just like, fuck, yes, like I've really got myself to where I am. And, and it's the same for you and it's the same for anyone else. And, and we have to look at those moments in such, in such pride and that, that older version of ourselves is still in here. And, you know, the, those kids on that stage as well, and we're like eight and stuff. And they're just like, yes, like you're smashing it. You're, you're owning this. And it's scary. So many people say, how did you do that? How did you go out there on your own? How do you approach people? And anyone can do it. You just learn. It's learning and it's adapting. And in essence, it's surviving to certain degrees. You know, you have to, you have to survive and keep going on your own. Definitely. I agree. And I think uh, we're always evolving. You know, you look back at times that maybe you you know, you weren't at your best or whatever, but you've evolved so much since then. And I think it's really important, as you said, to look back and appreciate how far you've come. Because I look back at, I even look back at my trip or the trips I've done and kind of how my journey's evolved. And I'm like, gosh, you know, at the time when I did that Morocco trip, I never thought it would have such a big impact on me or I'd never thought it'd lead me to where I am now. That element of being alone is so important because it the only person that's going to get comfortable with you yourself is you. And it's your responsibility, I feel, to, to learn about that. I know quite a few people that aren't comfortable being on their own. And that's okay. Like, that's fine. But it's definitely something that is really beneficial if you can get comfortable with that. And if you can, you know, 
take yourself abroad to Slovenia uh, for a couple of days. It doesn't need to be some crazy big trip. You don't have to cycle to Tunisia. There's no one, no one is saying that you should do that. It, all the point is, is just like be happy within yourself. And it, you can take a few days and just do what you really want to do and focus on you. And it's so honestly it's just the best food for the soul it is the best food the soul you want to be you want to be looking in the mirror and being like you know we're gonna be okay i'd be fine if it's just you know you and i you and i for a bit and it's this whole thing yeah we talk about loneliness and stuff and we will have experienced that loads when we're traveling and how that itself has evolved and actually how i don't necessarily see the word loneliness as like a negative word anymore the connotations aren't bad to me to some degree if if, if, you, if you were you know forever yeah but you go through the highs and lows of loneliness and I, f- I just think it's really special yeah when you get to that point where you realize it's not as bad as it sounds you you should be able to go to the cinema on your own if you love yeah. film you should be yeah. able to go to a gig on your own and stand there and praise this artist or band on stage you should be able to go for a meal on your own I always actually remember talking about meals like that's when I would if I was traveling the peak of loneliness for me like when I would used to when it would used to get me down I just sometimes meals would be fine and it really is such a confidence builder when you can go and sit out and you don't feel like you need to be distracted by you need to be on your phone say and you can actually let your eyes go where they need to go not be self-conscious but I would remember if I would be in a in a place eating and I would and then say like a family would come in with like young kids and that would get me quite sad because if I was away for a long time but then also you're happy because you're reflecting on your family and 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 memories and you're happy for that family because they're doing that right now yeah and it's weird one because it's like you've chosen to go out there on your own and you've kind of chosen that sort of solo travel. So you know that there's going to be some really difficult moments, but you've made the choice to have those difficult moments. And I find that quite a like funny thing, because for me, there was, when I was doing my trip, I was like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than where I am right now. But of course there are massive highs and lows. And you know, I also knew that no one else was going to come with me. <laughs> like that's also all the places I go. I'm like, yeah, no one else is coming. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. So you just get used to it. You're like, and I don't want to hold myself back. So I'm just going to go do it. Like, as you said, with the cinema, like if no one else wants to see that film and you really want to see it, like don't hold yourself back, go for it. I think that for me has been such a good little mantra. Um, but it is weird, like ch- actively choosing to potentially deal with feelings of loneliness. Did you have, not necessarily just in terms of loneliness, but did you have like any serious low points or do you, do you find that it kind of depends where you are, I suppose, in that? Yeah, I think, I mean, there was definitely some really hard moments, even just like, so I got chased by some dogs when I was cycling and I, um, that, so a year before that, 2022, I was in Georgia and I was on a run because my friend got married in Georgia as, as you do, um, as in the Georgia that's next to Azerbaijan and Armenia, that one. And I got bitten by dogs oh, there. No. So I had to go hit my rabies jabs and it was a really, really traumatizing time. So now whenever I'm on a run, a walk or a cycle and there's a dog, 
or there's like a dog that might chase me. It, it's like a bit of trauma that really just triggers me. So anyway, this happened on my bicycle and oh my days, like the panic that just goes through me is like electric in a negative way. Um, and that was for me just also calming down and being like, right, the world hasn't ended. I'm going to be okay. And then, oh, the, the worst, I think the worst thing was on my last day, I had to race for the ferry. And this is also like a funny thing because for me, the, the, the low moments weren't necessarily super mental. It was more actually like physical things I had to deal with, which is a massive learning curve for me. And my biggest fear in the entire world are snakes. So a snake, like I can't look at a picture, even saying the word like fills me with dread. It just honestly gives me the absolute heebie-jeebies. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really quite want to be hypnotized because it can be quite debilitating. You know, like David Attenborough's like, and the big python and whatever. No, I can't even look at it. Like, I can't even hear it. Like, absolutely not. Anyway, so my last day, um, I had to race for the ferry about 110k because it was the last one for two weeks. And so that was oh quite a lot of pressure. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure on my last day. And I was like, God, I've got to make it to the ferry. But like, I don't want to put myself under all that pressure because that's when I make bad decisions. Anyway, and I because I was going through a lots of remote areas, so some of it was gravel, some of it there's like long grass beside me, you know, sometimes I'd hear stuff in the in the hedgerow or whatever, and be like, oh my god, what is that? But to that point, up until the 18th day, I hadn't seen a snake and I was like, this is brilliant. So it's early in the morning, it's you know, it's probably 7 a.m. I'm on my way. And it's a stunning, like, flat farmland. It's really beautiful. You've got the sun just rising, and it's a really special time of the day, and it was the time of the day that I love the most. And then all of a sudden, this green, metallic slithery snake just runs across my front, like, just in, like, about a foot in front of my front wheel. Oh, my God. Panic ensues, and I freeze, like... I freeze and my initial reaction is always to cry if I see a snake. Oh, wow. But I was, I was, I can't cry because I need to stay hydrated because I can't lose this valuable water. And so, so much going on. So much was going on. And I was like, I can't believe I've seen a snake. My heart rate obviously spiked. I then like was in this really strange funk for the next, I don't know, 30, 50 kilometers. And I just couldn't, I couldn't find any joy. And all I could think about was that the fact the snake was chasing me and that, you know, I was going to, you know, and honestly, looking back, like, it's ridiculous. It went past me. Like the moment was very brief. It happened and I should just move on. But it took me 30 to 50 kilometers to move on from that moment. And I remember like texting my best mate being like I've just seen a snake like it's the worst day in the world and she was like oh my gosh and I told my sister as well and they know how you know people know how much it affects you and they're like don't worry it's gone now like you're gonna be okay but all I could replay in my mind for hours was the fact I'd seen that snake and it and I, I couldn't cycle I remember I was cycling so slowly because my body just froze and I sort of I was like, what? Like my last day, I've completed so much. I'm not going to let this get to me. But that for me was definitely, a. I remember being sat, having a Coca-Cola and a Calippo, trying to cheer myself up and just being like, I can't believe this has happened. Can't believe it's affected me in the way it has. And that was, yeah, that was a really difficult time. I suppose I feel like that kind of happened on purpose, right? Yeah. It's your last day you have the most pressure of your whole trip because you need to get this last ferry. Otherwise, you're just going to, like, what would you do? Just spend the next two weeks, try and get on another boat maybe to Africa. I just hitchhike. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was... You go, you go. I, I was just going to agree with you and say, yeah, I, 
I do really think it was kind of one of those things that was meant to be. And because the whole way through my trip, I had loads of moments like that. I saw um, I saw a dragonfly every single day and I really love dragonflies. I think they're just a really beautiful animal. And there was every time I saw one, it was really comforting. I also saw white butterflies every day. I saw red flowers every day. And they were just little signs to me that like, ah, oh, life's, life's good. Like you're doing it and you've got a really cool support system that, I don't know, I just thought they were signs. Mm. And there was a moment where I was like, gosh, I, you know, have, I haven't seen anyone in five hours. Quite fancy seeing a human being just to know that, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in that respect. And lo and behold, round the corner, what is there? Another human. Just little moments like that. You're like, oh, thank you, universe. Yeah, you have such trust in the system. Yeah, and massively. It, it, it gives you these little treats back and... I think, you know, in that moment, nothing bad did happen in the moment. The snake didn't attack you. You didn't accidentally like kill the snake or you didn't crash. And I think it is, it's kind of interesting when you look back and it's seeing how your body did behave in that moment. Like it's good for you to know that. Yeah. To think otherwise you could always think, oh, I wonder what would happen if I was cycling. And even though it didn't feel good and it affected you massively, but also it's learning, right? Yeah, it's like, what learning. What are the chances? What are the chances that Honestly. a little serpent, not so, oh, I don't know if it's a little, <laughs> a big serpent, that is going to come out and... Yeah, that time, at that place, like, what are the chances? Yeah. And like, for me, I was just, I think I was really frustrated with myself. I was like, you can conquer all these other mental battles and there's a stupid little green snake that's going to throw you off. Like, I was like, <laughs> look, I was like, come on, pull yourself together. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, oh my God. It's these mental moments though. And they make the story so much more interesting because, because then everything is, and it's cool hearing you say, even though we actively choose to go out and do these trips on our own, but we are still hungry for people. Like when we, we want to see them and stuff, because when, so it was the year of COVID 2020. And I think it was that summer I was due to fly to South America the day of lockdown. It didn't happen. So then by the time summer came and the government said, you can stay in the UK, but I was like, well, I need to take advantage of this. And I'd never been to Scotland. So I was like, come on, Let's go do it. And this is when I was really getting into my hiking more as well. The past couple of of years I had been. And I decided, I mean, it's different because I was in a car. Went all the way up to Scotland and I did the whole country over over 11 days. It was a lot. It was a lot. That's so cool. And I'm feeling really guilty now that this was all in a car. No, don't be. Oh my gosh. I also, yeah. There's no guilt from me that I feel like celebrate the adventure. Yeah. And yeah, went all the way up, you know, did the lakes, Cairngorms, North Coast, did Isle of Skye, all of the Highlands. So I took, because I just wanted an adventure. And again, I was very much in this, we'd had COVID for a few months. You know, I was, I was technically a key worker. I was still, and my job was COVID every day, like seeing that. And um, I was also very paranoid. I was going to get it and I was going to and I was going to die because I've always had asthma and there was all this confusion about whether at first anyone my mine's mild but at first anyone who had asthma you know they were going to get the jab straight away and then it kind of just there was no talk on it and then that wasn't a thing anymore and you just had to wait for your age group so I remember 
going to bed each night and just being really paranoid oh, and, and overthinking my feeling. breathing. So, so I, I wanted to do something active as well. Um, I just wanted to get, yeah, get out. So I went, took my tent and funnily enough, like I only slept in the tent three of the nights and all the other nights I was crooked, like a ball in the back seats no. of my car because of the midges. I, oh. I didn't anticipate that I physically wouldn't be able to be outside. Yeah, that, I've, like I have never experienced them, but I've heard some bad things. I'd heard these things. So I bought, luckily, uh, a head net. I had the spray. I was thinking, yeah, but am I going to need them? Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> it was like the trip as a whole was so eye-opening. It was so special. But equally, it was very traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. It was a really traumatizing. Running from like, the <laughs> I, I couldn't, I didn't get a solid sleep until about two weeks after the trip. Oh, um, the fear. Could you just see them like coming towards you? <laughs> it's like in James and the Giant Peach where the cloud rhino is charging towards him. And you just see this black cloud of midges coming and especially in the Highlands. So I, I camped the first couple of nights and it was difficult because I would just very much the same. I would park up. Um, at first I was terrible at it because I'd look at rough spots on a map before I went and I'd know where I wanted to be. So I'd park up and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's all green. So I can just camp somewhere there. Then I get there and I realize that green is actually 300 elevation of cliff and rock so so i get there and I'm, I'm walking on all these roads i'm like this is all just cliff i obviously didn't change it to terrain oh, <laughs> so then i would go but i would just go out in the sticks because you can wild camp yeah and i would find a spot but obviously in the highlands yeah you're prone to midges so I would put my food on and then I would no. be swarmed and I'd start getting eaten alive and it's so painful and then I'd have to stop so I'd be eating pieces of bread and I was just so miserable because I couldn't eat either hot food and then I'd be in my car I'm not near anywhere so <laughs> and I didn't want to stay in a hotel so then yeah I was just in my tiny three-door it was a rental because my car wouldn't survive that trip I was just just scrunched up and, and it's, you know it's like that. Well, thank god you didn't take a bicycle because you, what would you have done <laughs> it was it was awful like at some points I had to run to my car get in my car and I had videos of them just on all the windows surrounding and I would have to just sit it out and I'd be like the sun's setting and I can't go and do that hike <laughs> or I can't get there the little bastards they're they're so awful but that wasn't even what I was going on to. But <laughs> you would have days of not seeing people because of what I was choosing to do. You know, I'd be, I'd bump into people on hikes and I'd very much take these opportunities to talk to people. And, and you know, it's it, we're in the height of a pandemic, so it's nice to share people's experiences. And, and you know, people are talking about losing their jobs or you'd be on an early morning hike in the Isle of Skye and then you'd see a person and you'd briefly talk to them and it was so refreshing and I was so desperate for that that talk you know rather than being parked up in some you know some car park and then fucking loads of kids turn up playing music and doing drugs and you're in the back of your car oh no oh my <laughs> this oh my is days. not how I go <laughs> are you looking for one-on-one -on -one coaching in self-discovery confidence building and a positive mindset reset well, look no further, my friend, and good on you. 
wanting to make a change. That's why I'm here. Drop by my website and fill out an online form for a free 30-minute consultation with me. Obviously. We'll talk through what it is in your life you want to change and how we can get you thriving as an authentic version of you. I did it, and so can you. All I ask is you bring honesty, you show up as yourself, and in turn, I'll give you the support you need to transform your life, you beautiful badass. Go to www.resetwithtom.com and follow the link for your free consultation. I'm a friend. This is what I love to do, and I'm here to help you. See you there. What was the worst moment of your trip? Uh, was see, it the snake? I just I think it would be the snake, but I don't know. I think it's also hard. I have really rose-tinted glasses in general in life. And I think oh, there's probably like there's probably some really hard mental moments in that where I was like, but there was never a moment when I was like, do you know what? I'm packing this in. But I think as much as the snake was a really horrible moment, it was a really like moment of fear. It was also like, it was also really lovely because I had my sister and my best mate just being like, don't worry about it. So as much as it was a really bad moment, it was also really, it made me feel really lucky. So I was like, I can be in the middle of nowhere and I know that I can text some people and they're going to be like, hey, don't worry about it. We got you. It's so chill. Do you want me to cool? I'll just, we can just let Barney put some music on, like little stuff like that. You're like, ah, oh, I'm actually so lucky. Even when I'm freaking out, there are lovely people that are just going to really lift me up. Yeah, these situations can happen and they put you in a place where you're like, where you can be like, I need to pack up and I need to go. Like, <laughs> I'll just share quickly because I think it's important for people to know like when they're in those positions because I had that at the end of that Scotland trip. I'm just remembering now. I'm not, I won't over, I can overshare, but I'll just keep it short. But at the end, when I'd done Scotland and I was so exhausted at this point, you know, it's so much driving. I was doing serious hikes to the point where I stopped doing hikes and peaks because I just couldn't actually do it anymore. And because I was driving so much, I was just, yeah, my, I was burning my body out. And um, as I'd left Scotland and you know, I was planning to take two nights to come down the whole of England and I stopped a night in Yorkshire, just in a village, because um, I was staying, I was just parked up in one of these kind of national park, big car parks. So you've got, you know, trailers, camper vans there and stuff. And oh my gosh, I think I was getting quite, I was delirious as well. Like I'm, I'm a big advocate for, you should talk to yourself. You should have conversations with yourself. You know, that's all fine. It was very much getting to the point of this drive. Where I would just be like, I just like shout stuff. I'd be driving and I was talking to myself so much like a lot and I was like okay we're gonna start making our way back home now and um <laughs> <laughs> oh I love talking to myself I think it's great <laughs> that was very important trip in terms of really getting to know myself and my limits and I parked up you know obviously back in back of the car again I was like I actually just need to go for a poo like I was it was really late and I was like <laughs> I'm not doing this whole you know sleep like holding that so I got out I went to do like um, a wild poo in the little like wood bit behind the car park because <laughs> there's no oh, toilets and stuff. And um, I 
you know, I, I went out there, I did it. By this point, it's the sun's just set, so it's dark now, and I'm just in. It's very I'm much nervous. just like, I just got out. What you comes know? Next? <laughs> yeah. So I did it, and then I went back to my car, and, and I couldn't get into it. And, and, and so I went to get, because just out of instinct, anytime I'd leave the car, I'd lock it. Mm. And so I went to get the keys out of my pocket, and they weren't there. And, and, and my life just stopped <laughs> because, because I was like, where are the keys? <laughs> Obviously, I was wearing just gym shorts, so it's not like secure pockets, like on, a, on, a, on jeans or something. And, and I had been squatting out in the, the wood bit. My, my keys, my car keys had fallen out. <laughs> my phone and everything was in the car, locked away. <laughs> I had nothing on me. And it started to rain torrential in that moment. Like literally when I realized it was just like. Pathetic fallacy. It's like the snake. It's the snake over again. <laughs> just testing you. But I'm not terrified of the rain. Like that would have made that. that lucky. <laughs> so I had this just whole next hour and a half of going back on all my steps. Hour and a half. Yeah. I was on my hands and knees in the dirt. And now because it's raining and it's dense shrubbery and leaves. And it's all reflected from moonlight or whatever. So it made it more difficult to try and pinpoint keys. And also, I didn't want to come across my poo. But I was just <laughs> yes. like, I was just like, it doesn't matter right now, okay? So I had this system of doing back and forward, back and forward, like someone who's, I don't know, painting a track or something. And I was on my hands and knees, feeling everywhere. And I did it for an hour and a half and I couldn't find them. And then it was one of these moments where it just stopped and I sat on the floor. I went back to my car and I just sat against the wheel in the mud. I was like, what do you do in this situation? Yeah. When I was driving, I had driven past a village and it wasn't long ago. Before this, actually, I went and I was like, I need to go get help. I didn't want to knock on the camper van because I knew there was a guy in there and he had little kids. And I was like, I can't be that person. I can't, Yeah. you know, especially Wait as a up. guy. I, and I can't just be there and do that. So I went to, I just picked another camper van and I went and I knocked on the window and it's dark, obviously, and no one answered. And I knocked again and this voice was like, yes, they were obviously terrified. And he opened it up. Ooh. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not going to do, I don't know why, but automatically <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to do I'm anything. I'm going to murder you. <laughs> and I was like, I've locked myself out of my car. I don't have a phone or anything. And he gave me a torch, which is nice. Yeah, like, nice. So I had his head torch. That didn't help. Still couldn't find it. So I decided to retrace my steps and go back to this village. I made a note of what my car park was called because I walked past the sign. So it was just like thinking, I need that information because if I get help. And then I walked down these really dangerous, you know, it's pitch black and I have made it back to the village. I look like shit. Like I look like something from a horror film because I've got mud all over me. I'm so wet. I'm in shorts. Um... And I remember the, the the village clock was chiming. I was like, that clock is just laughing at me. <laughs> Got there. I was going into different places. I was asking people for their phones. No one was giving me. They haven't, no one was helping me. Like, <laughs> they were like, oh, it's out of battery. And so I'm like, it's not. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can hold my arm. I just need to get help. And then went into a hotel. They were like, sorry, we're full. I'm like, that's not what I need. I just need help. But no one was helping me, which was really, it's really like crap in those situations where people aren't, it's yeah. a weird situation as well, obviously. And then I saw blue sirens outside 
I ran out and there was there was a big police van and I was like, officer, officer, help me. <laughs> and um, there'd been some like uh, cottage roof fire or something. That's why they were there. And he was like, what's happened? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. I was like, I was just out. I was doing a poo and then I locked myself out. And I don't know. I was like, what do you do? I remember saying, what do you do in this situation? Like we don't learn these things. And yeah, it's true. He's like, it's a good question. He said, all we don't have many officers and everyone's busy, but I can get someone out to you in half an hour. I was like, thank you so, so much. And I gave him the name of the car park, went all the way back, sat on the floor. And then lo and behold, this officer Todd, this young guy came. Oh. He brought this massive floodlight. And he, oh my God, what a legend. He helped me. And it was such a moment of human appreciation because I was so low. And he came out. He was like, I don't want to stand anything. He was like, do you know what he did? I was like, Todd, Officer Todd, I'm sorry. I don't know. And he was out there. He was, and he's obviously a bit apprehensive because it could be just a, a ploy to like kill an officer or, you know, it was, it's all very dodgy. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite an elaborate story to <laughs> lure in an mind officer. Of a serial killer, but, but, um, he found them. He found them after like five minutes, the keys. Oh. And then he checked it was definitely my car. And it was obviously. And it was just a really beautiful moment. That was such a ramble, but it was such a, a beautiful moment of what people can do in these situations and also what awful situations you can be put in. Yeah. It, because it really is one of those things like, what do you do? Do you smash this rental car window? Because that's what the next step was going to be. Yeah, not a vibe. People do great things. So I'm forever grateful to that. Yorkshire police officer, Officer Todd. And um, obviously none of the public helped me, except the guy who gave me his head torch. That was really nice. But I bet Officer Todd went back to his, went maybe his family that evening was like, you'll never And the rest of the I'm police force. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, who sent me on that one? Like, they're probably just like the funniest things we've had to deal with. Tom only, and his poo. Only in the countryside. <laughs> yeah, literally only in the countryside. That could be a midsummer murders, um, <laughs> couldn't it? I think that could be the next one. It's good to share these things. Like that was intense. So then the next day, I didn't do an extra night in England. I did like a nine-hour drive <laughs> Get all me the way home. <laughs> it's something I'll never forget, and he'll never forget either, probably. It's cool. I think. In that, yeah, it's eventful, but it's also the fact that, like, I don't know, you didn't give up. And that's, like, the power of the mind, right, in mm. those situations, is that you just didn't give up. You just, obviously, you were like, crap, what am I going to do? But then you worked out, you had a moment, you sat down by your car and was like, right, what's the next step? And that's, I think, it's really cool. It's like, obviously, you're more comfortable being by yourself. You've trained yourself that way. And then you can take a step back and be like, right, let's think clearly. And then you can, like, go to the next step which I think is a really cool thing to be able to do it is and you will have it as well it's that fight or flight scenario you either lie down in the rain and you sleep and you wait for even a comfort of daylight which is ridiculous or you get on your feet retrace your steps and you just figure out a way to get out of this it's the only time I've ever had what do you do in this situation because it's something you would never ever think of yeah it's and it's that scary thing of not having a phone as well to just be able to, and also the the worry of scaring or feeling like you're endangering other people, like not wanting to 
to, to terrify, you know, a family or something. And it's, it's this mad politeness that, you know, when you actually need help. Yeah, it's like British politeness is just like, oh, I'm terribly sorry. Yeah, no, I'm having a nightmare. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> I love that story, though. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I appreciate your appreciation. <laughs> I want to ask you about post when you do a big thing like this. You know, I want to go into the stuff like ice packs and tea towels and 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 how you ice packs and tea towels. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know so much about you now. You are but... a big stalker. Oh my god! Because oh you, my... you, I posted that photo on Instagram when I interviewed Fiona Colbinger and she did the TCR, and then I threw it back to when I finished my trip in 2020, and I lay on the sofa with ice packs and tea towels with a bowl of fucking pasta. <laughs> but this was like a this was like a common thing. Like you used that as your as your healer for the pain, and you would just get obsessed with that, right? <laughs> No, this, the reason I used tea towels and ice packs was um, because I had really inflamed knees. This was in 2020 when I did the seven-day trip, and I had really inflamed knees and that sort of area. And a really good way of attaching an ice pack to yourself is using a tea towel. Because, you know, lots of people might just, but you tie the tea towel around you so you can walk around and with this ice pack and it honestly it's a really good recovery hack you're welcome and, uh, yeah honestly i'm a big fan of yeah ice packs for recovery are great <laughs> but i think honestly one of the biggest things after you do do a big trip is you must have found this as well is you finish it and you get this massive lull at least i do i tend to get a massive like you know i can you're kind of like well, what if i what am I going to do now? I've done this big thing that I was building up to. It was everything I thought it would be and more. And now what am I doing with my life? And every time after I've completed some, to be fair, travel or sport challenge or experience, I'm always like, oh gosh, what happens now? And I think that for me has been probably one of the hardest things. When I got back from Tunisia, basically my I flew back my sins and my bike didn't come back for at least two weeks they lost it and that was it was weird because it's a really material item but it meant so much to me and it, I almost felt that I couldn't tie up this trip because I hadn't got my bike back and I remember I got to the airport and it wasn't there and I was in floods of tears because I was like I haven't completed it I haven't I haven't got my bicycle like that is the one thing I really need and was my bike I packed it with loads of stuff as well um but it was like I'd left I'd lost that and it was quite a like a really weird sort of limbo moment whereas I didn't feel like myself without my bicycle which I never thought I'd feel but for those two weeks I felt really lost and then even since then so it's been about six months since I finished and since then it's like I've had a lot of reflection of being like okay, well, where am I going to go with my life now? What's my next adventure? And people always say, what's next? Like, you know, where are you going next? Traveling next, Tom? And you're like, and I interviewed a lady the other day and because I was like, oh, what's next? She did this big ultra cycle and she was like, I'm learning to be okay with not having an answer to that. And being like, I don't need to do another crazy challenge as my next thing. Like that doesn't define me. And I was like, it really made me think because I have definitely felt quite lost 
as to like, oh gosh, well, you know, me as a person, I'm someone that loves a really hard challenge and loves a good risk. And I didn't have anything lined up. And that I've really definitely found that really difficult and kind of, yeah, just settling back in or settling into a new routine. And that I think, yeah, it can, is probably the hardest part of finishing a challenge or a wonderful travel. It's really interesting you hearing, saying all of that. And it's eye-opening because, you know, your, your bicycle is your baby. Like this is everything you love is in this beautiful thing. And that bicycle has its connection to nature. You have this connection to bicycle and it's this full circle. And of course you reacted how you, how you did. And you would also have that worry and fear that it wouldn't be found and you wouldn't get it back. Thank God you did. But I mean, I got it back because <laughs> the poor people at the airline uh, in the uh, the Gatwick and the Heathrow office, I think I called them every single day, um, they went into the cargo room uh, at both airports. Uh, the people in Tunisia went into the cargo room at the airport. I mean, I was like, because it was very much, they were like, I think we've lost it. We can't find it. Like, it's not on the system. I was like, not good enough. Like, I was like, I actually can't have this. And then I became really good friends with this lady to the point she was like, how did you get my number? And I was like, oh, just found it online. Another <laughs> like, stalker. <laughs> I was like, I'm not giving up. Like, no way am I giving up on this. And I, you know, I went into the, the depths of this airline's like contacts that this, they could have. Yeah, this is like taken. Yeah. You're literally Liam like, Neeson. But also there was this number was legitimately online. So I was like, lady, your mobile's online. <laughs> anyway, anyway, she was such a babe. Honestly, here we texted, like, you know, she kept me updated every day. And then she called me and was like, you'll never guess what. It's in Heathrow. I found it. And then they delivered it to me. And like, I was like, you, I was like, that, this, this just means the best thing in the world to me. I can't even tell you how happy I am. And that was, yeah, like this poor lady. And she's probably like, thank God, she'll stop calling me. <laughs> But it was, as you say, like it suddenly, then I could complete the circle. Whereas until then I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, and my whole August plan then got completely ruined because I was like, I don't have my bicycle. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was a, a, like a big, I guess, adapting. Yeah. And it's another example of a person that has an incredible positive impact on you. You know, that woman and she got your bike and, and, likelihood is if you didn't hound her and you didn't you know go on this mission yeah that your bicycle would have been lost but you didn't do that like you fought and that's people should take that away that you should and not feel guilty for that I still have the uh, the piece of paper you get at the airport when you go for lost luggage. Because in my head, I'm like, maybe I'll wake up one day and my bike won't be here and it will be a really, it'll be a dream and I'll still have to be at the airport, you know, like still have to find my bike, which is a ridiculous thing. But I think for me is that bike, I associate it with me being a really, like me being, you know, a really strong version of myself and a version that I'm really proud of and a version that I'm like, I want to be more like that version of me and so I think for me the bicycle it's not just like you know the fact that I cycled well it's not the fact that it took me to, it is I guess the fact it took to me to these amazing places but it's also the opportunity that it presents I look at that bike and I'm like oh I could do anything on this bicycle I honestly I remember it's the feeling is so strong I'm like that bike yeah I could cycle that around the world and it's a crazy thing that you associate with this just you know this object inanimate object but I think 
you know, the bicycle in itself. And for, to, be, to be honest, sport, any sport, I love all sports and sport can really make you feel like that. You know, you probably found it with hiking, you get to the top of the mountain, you're like, I am on top of the world, I can do anything. Like, you know, it can be so fulfilling. And it's also at the same time, it can be a feeling that you really chase. And that can be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and what you were saying before, I mean, when we have these moments of adversity or extreme pressure or just general hard times, as awful as they are in the moment, like you stood in that airport, me sat on the floor on the, by the side of my car, like if they weren't to happen, we'd be, we, we would be worse off because, because we see our true raw selves reflected in those moments and we see how badass we can be and that we can get through that a hundred percent and every time actually I go off and do a little challenge or I go solo travel I get this feeling in my stomach I don't know if you get it as well but I'm like I'm really nervous and like maybe I'm afraid and I'm a little bit like oh my gosh what am I doing I'm it's also like a little fire inside me I'm also so excited and that there's a very specific feeling and I love it because I know I know I'm doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing because I'm challenging myself, I'm nervous, and I'm really excited. And it's like that's when you're just that's when you know you're gonna have a good time. You're gonna put yourself through crazy, difficult situations, but yeah, you're gonna thrive. And there's a little feeling, and I'm always like, ah, oh, that's what I want. I think that's the description. Everything you said there is the description of the unknown. Like, I feel like if the unknown was to be in an emotion, it would be all of that in those moments. You're walking, you're running, you're cycling, you're flying into those, into that. You're going into the unknown. And that's why it's so special. And that's why, you know, women and men did it hundreds and hundreds of years ago and they started paving all these paths for us. And, and we're just still living that now with different eyes. Being inspired by them and, yeah, carving our own little paths. That's it. Firstly... What the hell do you pack for such a trip like this? Hit me. Okay, well, I mean, it's hard. I think we'll consider the weather. So I knew it was going to be really hot. I overpacked. Um, that's also one thing. I always find when you pack, you want to take out 10% of what you've put in there. I didn't do that. That was my fault. Um, but yeah, so I packed. What did I pack? And how long I... is this for? So this is 18 days cycling? 18 days cycling Plus and then a month. month in Tunisia. Yeah. I wasn't worried about the month in Tunisia because my friend Lisa, I was very much like, I'm going to be in my cycling kit. She was like, I'm going to borrow all my clothes. Amazing. Luckily, it was the same size, same height. Like, I was not worried at all. Uh, but I did, I had a little pair of sandals, like sort of ones that you can technically cycle in. Uh, but they were amazing. So at the end of every day, I'd take my shoes off and wear these wonderful little sandal things. Um, I packed, so I literally had two pairs of bib shorts, uh, two jerseys, a thermal jacket, a gilet and a long sleeve jersey that I didn't need. We got rid of them. A pair of lightweight trackies, a t-shirt that were like I wore for pajamas, a puffer jacket, you know, they're sort of down jackets. That was amazing. I was so stupid. I was like, oh, I'm going to use my down jacket as my pillow. No, you're not, you idiot. It deflates. What is wrong with you? Yeah, I was like, oh my God, what a fool. I remember my first night, I was like, this is pillow is rubbish. Yeah, of course it would be. Um, and then I also brought, yeah, I brought a pair of shorts and a white t-shirt, three or four pairs of socks, 
one I used as my handle for my little camping stove pot because obviously mm. that was roasting hot. Nice. So yeah, I had a tiny little functional sock. Yeah, that's all we're here for. Um, we I had like a little liquid um, what methylated spirits, okay. and I had a tiny little sl- stove that went in that. But, sorry, the spirits went in. I had a lighter. What's it called? A little pan pot thing that went on top, and everything packed into that. So it was really neat. I had a fair few spares. So they're talking inner tubes, a mini pump, multi-tool. I had two pairs of glasses, uh, as in cycling glasses. I'm really glad I took because one was more see-through and the other one was for when it was really sunny. And that actually worked well. Um, fun little fact. <laughs> Obviously my helmet. Uh, I had a pair of shock bone conductor headphones which i used about three times because i don't really i like listening to my mind <laughs> when i'm cycling and the trees and the birds okay and that kind of thing i'm a big like deep thinker and i love that and i think i listened to music three times it was always on a climb and if i was struggling it would usually be about 3 p.m and i'd put on like mamma mia or something and i'd just be like whatever gets, it. And yeah, whatever was, gets you going yeah that was quite nice um, what else? I think I put, put my laptop with me because I was working from Tunisia, my charger. No, I didn't even bring a charger. I brought a power bank and a USB-C as I worked out that my power bank could charge my laptop. And that was quite fun. Brought my mouse. Um, I think I brought my microphone. Um, sun cream. Sun cream, of Please. course. Yes. And what about like toiletries and stuff, obviously? You bring oh, one yes. of them in. I a brought little... like, yeah, I just had head and shoulders two in one or whatever it is yeah my toothbrush toothpaste I mean minimal moisturizer and yeah my all my all day sun cream that was amazing yeah that's you you need that like obviously a lot of people will be thinking about the safety when you're going out there do you take a weapon no no I think your weapon is your brain and your bicycle um I would never take a weapon (laughs) if I'm honest <laughs> I always have I a mean, hammer. That's, that's fair enough. I think. I mean, technically, maybe I do. I have inner tubes um, and a bicycle, and you know, like methylated spirits and a lighter. So I guess it depends how you categorize a weapon. But I wouldn't take like a truncheon or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I didn't take any pepper spray, for example. I mean, in terms of safety, I felt so safe the whole way. If there was ever a moment, there was one village that I remember I went into and that's when I didn't feel that safe. That was a one moment and I remember I sat down and I was really hot and <laughs> I was really sweaty, obviously. And I was having a, a calippo and some water. And I was kind of like this guy was looking at me a bit weirdly. And I think there was, I, I was also, I think you also have to bear in mind, you can't, people can think that you are fascinating you're head to toe in lycra, you've got loads of bags, you're obviously, you're pretty dirty, like dusty. You know, people do look at you being like, what are you doing? Like people do want to strike up a conversation with you. And I loved that. It was really, really nice. But there was, yeah, just one moment when this guy was like, he'd walk away and then he'd come back and look at me and walk away, come back and look at me. Yeah. Yeah, And I was like, oh, it's making me feel really uncomfortable. So then I actually went and sat next to this old man on a bench. And I was like, oh, do you mind if I sit next to you? Because you know, when you get the feel with someone, I was like, I like your aura your chill so I went and sat next to him and I actually felt the kind of I felt comforted by the stranger even though you know I didn't know him but just sitting next to him made me feel less unsafe with this weird man staring at me um and then even with campsites like camping alone yeah it was fine I always had really good chats with the campsite people 
everyone was always really friendly. Yeah, and it, honestly, I, it was just such a joy. You get to chat to so many people. I think the one danger I did find is when I was really tired, you can quite you can close yourself off and you can kind of be like, I don't want to speak to anyone because I'm exhausted. But you've got, to, I've, for me anyway, I was like, no, don't do that. Let's stay open, like smile, make the effort with other people because it's so beneficial doing that. Um, and also when you're like, there are times I'm saying it's, it's not easy. Like you, there was a moment I was crossing the Italian Apennines. Oh gosh. And I was really tired and I was really hungry. That's always the most difficult part when you're hungry. And yeah. And I was like on this back road, it was stunning and it was really hard. I mean, it was steep gradients and I was, you know, when you're like, where is my energy? And it was the one time I thought if someone came along in a van and wanted to steal my bike or wanted to steal me, I would have minimal defenses. And, but even having that thought was like, right, well, I don't want that to happen. So what am I going to do about it? And it's like moments from that, you can realize that you're not feeling your best, stuff like that. You're like, right, what am I going to do? So even if you do feel that little bit of unsafe, it's like, well, it's it's down to me to sort that out right now. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I need to look after myself. I'm number one right now. Um, but I also think I did go through the majority of Europe and that is a super cycling friendly place. So Belgium, France, Switzerland, Italy, they love cyclists. Um, so that also was really beneficial. And I would recommend it to anyone. I think don't let the safety aspect get you down or think too much about it. Honestly, I think. Yeah, because I think it's always it's always important to just to ask irrespective of who's on you know because um yeah it can be anyone and and you know i've been in those awful situations and it makes you more streetwise roadwise whatever it should never ever be it should never sway you to not to not do it oh definitely and i mean honestly if anyone like if you ever want to do anything like that or any of your mates like i would love to share if i can share any advice or chat about the route or anything if anyone needs a little confidence booster on going out there doing it even if it's you know to a weekend trip it doesn't need to be massive like if you need someone to tell you that you're gonna smash it and you should do it I'm your gal yeah because what would you say to people who have never cycled I've not cycled since I was a kid I mean uh, there might have been the odd family holiday or something but it's always been something in my head like I'm, I'm active I love being outdoors but cycling has always just been away from everything else for me it's kind of as though there's an invisible barrier there so yeah, what would you say to people, other people who have the same? I think, to be honest, I always, always thought cycling was a bit like that. I think in the past there's been very much sort of a middle-aged white men cycling is that is the sport for them. And that's just not true. I would say, no, ignore that. Right. That, that's the past. Get rid of that. Like, we don't want to even look at that anymore. I think gravel cycling is really and adventure cycling is really open and really approachable and everyone's lovely and you don't need the best bike in the world you don't need fancy kit all you need is desire to do it and if you do want to cycle that's amazing you don't have to be clad in lycra like god you don't have to travel to tunisia no one is saying that the key is to enjoy it and i think if you want to you know face it marketplaces are really good for secondhand bikes i'm a big fan of a secondhand bike um ebay or like secondhand places are great for kit as well you can just wear your normal sports kit that's also a great thing you don't need clip-in shoes start with trainers i started with trainers when i first put clip-in shoes i fell off all the time <laughs> what is you know, sorry clip-in shoes is this when it's, it attaches you, you to clip the it, yeah pe- you attach to the pedals yeah and that takes ages to learn but you don't have to do that there's not like 
that doesn't mean that you are a cyclist or you aren't a cyclist. I think for long there's been this rhetoric that, you know, certain things like that dictate what a cyclist is and what a cyclist isn't. And I think as a sport, as an industry, there's been a lot of movement to fight against that. So I would say if you want to get into the sport, do it. What are you waiting for? Absolutely. And oh, I had another question which I forgot to ask. Right. So if you were ever dating someone yeah. who hated and saying hated, like really hated bicycles and just it wasn't something for them. When you have such a strong, I can relate this to my own passions and loves and stuff. How, how would you feel to that? I guess, do you mean just anyone in general as well that I met that hated cycling with a passion? Yeah, but I just feel like when you're actually in, I suppose, a relationship or you're, or, or, or you're letting someone into your life like that, because I consider it some, sometimes when I date and say uh, a guy would be like, well, I don't like to travel or I, oh, yeah. I, I, like, I don't like these things. And you really have a moment of how materialistic are these things to people, but also to me? And should I feel guilty for actually having that as a, a need for me to share that with someone, at least, or that someone likes it? Yeah, I don't think you should ever feel guilty about having your own passions and the things that make you tick. Like, no way. I think it's great that everyone's different. And there's so much value in the fact that human beings do have different likes and dislikes. And that's cool. I mean, if someone doesn't like cycling, I'm not going to sit there and campaign and be like, it's amazing. I'm going to be like, fair enough. What about other sports? What else do you like? Because for me, you know, I love cycling, but in all honesty, it's not my favorite sport in the whole universe. I really love all sports. Tennis has always been tennis, my favorite big, sport. Yeah. And you coached tennis as well, right? Exactly. I absolutely love tennis. I also love trail running and I also love hiking and I also love wild swimming. You name it. I love it. It's sport. It's great. I've actually recently taken up squash, mm. another great sport. Do you see what I mean? I also love football, particularly women's football. I mean, I think sport is such an exciting place. And for me, I just, I get along with people that really like sport and they like travel and they like adventure. And if I went on a date with someone that didn't, it probably we probably wouldn't go on a second date. Yeah, like if they burnt bikes regularly. Yeah, if they burnt bikes, I'd probably be like, okay, look, what is going on here? I'd probably be like, can I understand why you feel so strongly? That's important. For me, yeah, I'd want to understand what made them feel the way they do. And if I can, you know, have a chat about it, put forward what I thought, perhaps, you know, I could borrow those bikes off them and give them to people that need them, would benefit from them. Yeah, I think I would never sit there. And I love that that's where you went with that. Yes. Take those yeah. bikes away from the bonfire and actually give them to people that need those bikes. Because no one should be burning bikes. Exactly. And I honestly think like, like as much as, you know, there's that fight between drivers and cyclists in the UK, like giving someone a bicycle can give them the mobility that they need to, to get to work. You know, if they don't have a car, they can, they can ride their bike. It's amazing for your physical and mental health. And it can take you places. It doesn't need to be miles, but it can take you somewhere. And I think that's why the bicycle can be so amazing is it can give you so much freedom. And that is for me, what I associate cycling with is freedom. It's glorious. It's glo I was just about to say glorious. That's weird. That's really weird because I don't think I've weird. dropped that word yet today. Oh, I love that word. It's one of my favorites. Glorious. I also... <laughs> glorious. Um, wanted to tell you that you're now quotable because I wrote down one of your quotes and I'm going to use it because I loved it. <clears throat> the power of the mind, the body, and of course, the bicycle is just glorious. Oh, I mean, it's true. Honestly, I that stand by that. That needs to be on a that. wall. <laughs> 
That needs to be somewhere etched along the road where you saw that snake. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic quote and um, I'm going to use that quote. It's, it's, it's really, really mind-blowing, actually. Well, Tom, it's all down to you. I was you. reading that I was just like, yes. For getting, no. getting that out of me, so thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you didn't say it in this one. You'd said that I found that on my stalking when I found that in a oh, post. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I was going to say I'm pretty sure I've written that down somewhere. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was like, did I say that today? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you might have done. But listen, Emma, it's been so um, it's been so eye-opening and really inspirational talking to you, seeing what you're doing with your life. Likewise, Tom. We'll definitely get a drink or get a hike on or something because, um, yeah, you're a really special person. Can you tell um, the listeners like where they can find you, what social medias, like where, where can people contact, what handles... Cool. Uh, Instagram is Emma S for Sugar E for Echo Cole. Fun fact: there's my middle name, Sophie Elizabeth. Woo! Uh, and it's the same on Twitter or X or whatever people call it now. Yeah, we're going with Twitter on this podcast. I yeah, like... I, I, like, I'm not on board with X. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm yeah, Twitter. And yeah, I've got a fair few more adventures coming up, which I'm quite excited for. I've got a long distance hike, um, so that should be fun. Um, yeah. Or not? Uh, not... So. I didn't know if it was a secret. <laughs> oh, it's not a secret. Well, I'm either I have, I'm choosing between two. It's early Feb. Either the Cleveland Way, which is in the North York Moors, it's a famous national mm-hmm. trail, second oldest one, or the Ickfield Way, which starts just outside Cambridge, and it's in the footsteps of the poet Edward Thomas. But the reason I actually found out about it is none of that. The truth is, my favourite author, Robert McFarlane, who wrote a book you might really like called The Old Ways, um, he talks about it and he walks part of it in his book and I'd never heard of it before and I absolutely love a footpath, I love a trail. And I was like, yeah, I want to walk that and it joins up with the Ridgeway um, as well and it's apparently the oldest British like path and things like that and I just like, yeah, even I'm talking about it now, I'm like, maybe that's the one I'll do. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think just because I think, yeah, and I love for me, I'm as I said, I'm I'm going freelance at the end of this month. So beginning of February, I'll be freelance. So I just think I'd really like to tie it in with a wonderful walk that is really good for your brain, body, and soul. Yeah. And with who you are and what you're doing, you're gonna absolutely smash this next chapter. And I'm really excited to see see what you do when we start venturing off on our own path because we want to be our own boss we want to be doing yeah. what we're doing and yeah yeah I'll, I'll be here as well for support and all of that and yeah you'll be smashing it yeah listeners go and see what uh emma's up to but yeah i hope you have fantastic hike in february Thanks, and i'm really looking forward to eating a tin of sweet corn today oh let me know what you think oh i mean i've had one before <laughs> <laughs> but I will give you a review. Yes. Yeah, please give it. Are you going to go for brine or water? I know. I want people. Oh, water. I think, yeah. And I want people to do this phlegm fanta test as well. I want to see if this yeah. is maybe just the body thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm slightly concerned, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> yeah, please. All right, Emma, it's been, yeah, it's been really special. And thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah. And stay warm. You too. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Well, beautiful people, that is the first batch of episodes complete. Six episodes. Holy hell, how did that happen? Starting a podcast is a lot of graft, and I realize I need little breaks in order to have time for life and also make this podcast as good as it should be. 
Reset with Tom will be back in a month's time and a whole new bunch of inspirational guests will be here for you. So please now while I have you and those ears are erect, you won't get that reference if you haven't listened to the pilot. So what are you doing here if you haven't? Go listen to episode one. Anyway, make sure you click follow on whatever podcast app you're using and click the little alert button too, if there is one. So when my new bunch of episodes drop, you'll get a notification on your phone there. Now, thank you for all your love, all your support. From the bottom of my heart, I couldn't do this without you all tuning in each week. Now go have the best month and I will see you very soon, badasses. You've been listening to Reset with Tom, the podcast with me, Tom Metcalf. If you want to find out more about the guests I have on each of my shows, take a look at the episode description on whatever app you're listening on, and you'll find all the relevant info and links on that legend. You can follow me on Instagram at Reset with Tom. I put a lot of work into this gig, so please always show love, show your support, give me a follow or a star review, and that would just be amazing. If the core of this show has resonated with you, please share your thoughts on my socials. And if you would like to feature on Reset with Tom the Podcast, you know what to do. Just drop me a message. I would love to hear from you because remember, you are all inspirational. The theme music of the show is the incredible track Comes in Waves by Total Giovanni. Thank you so much for letting me use your sound, guys. The song is very important to me. Reset with Tom is produced by me and I will be here every Wednesday. So get that reminder set.